0: This is a legal defeat for the president, but it may be a practical victory.
1: For who? I guess for us. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I don't know. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you Here I am Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From Pacifica with you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in Red Bluff in Redding, California On KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE In Oregon on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, on WPRR. In New Orleans, on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ in concord new hampshire on wnhn fayetteville arkansas kpsq in seattle on kodx janesville wisconsin's wadr and minneapolis st paul's am 950 ktnf we also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the progressive voices channel netroots radio radio for humans fyi nation NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me, from Bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, well, Desi Doyen, it's another one of those days where we all just uh, <laughs> panic to figure out what's going on, how to cover it, how to make sense of it, what to do about it.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. So yeah. <laughs> so
1: everything is we've overturned all of our plans today, thanks to the Supreme Court, who have uh, once again overturned all of our lives I guess but maybe in a good way I don't know maybe in a good way in that uh, apparently it seems to be driving Donald Trump absolutely insane well at least there's that there you go Donald Trump blew up on Twitter on Thursday morning not long after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that his tax returns must be handed over to Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance even though it won't have to happen Immediately, Trump complained that he will, quote, have to keep fighting in a politically corrupt New York, thanks to the ruling on Thursday. Well, yeah, actually, he may be fighting to stay out of jail in New York if, as now appears likely, the district attorney will, in fact, get access to years of what are believed to be fraudulent financial documents filed by Donald Trump before he became president of the United States. Not fair to this presidency or administration, the president whined on Twitter. Courts in the past have given broad deference. But not me, he wrote in all caps (laughs) in another tweet just one (laughs) minute later the tantrum continued in the form of a barely coherent Twitter thread in which Trump raved on about his bogus conspiracy theories that Barack Obama's administration was supposedly spying on his 2016 campaign. And, you know, I'll, you know we don't usually uh, read his tweets here, but they are so insane, frankly, and maybe suggest, I don't know, that he's coming unglued? Is that possible? Was he ever glued in the first (laughs) place now that I think of it? So uh, he says, uh, we have a totally corrupt previous administration, including a president and vice president who spied on my campaign and got caught. And nothing happens to them. This crime was taking place even before my election. Everyone knows it, and yet all are frozen stiff with fear. No Republican Senate judiciary response. I guess that one's for Lindsey Graham, who heads the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. No justice, no FBI, no nothing. Those are all in all caps. Major horror show reports on Comey and McCabe. Guilty as hell. Nothing happens. Catch Obama and Biden. Cold. Nothing. A three-year, $45 million Mueller hoax. Failed. Investigated everything. Won all against the federal government and the Democrats. Send everything to politically corrupt New York which is falling apart with everyone leaving to give it a second, third, and fourth try. Now the Supreme Court gives a delay ruling that they would never have given for another president. Now, mind you, I'm just reading. This is, this is an actual thread. Wow. This is actual coming out of, of the president's brain.
2: <laughs> Such as it is. <laughs>
1: And by the way, on that, uh, he may be right about this would never have happened, uh, never have been given for another president. He may be right, but not for the reasons that he is claiming. We'll get to that with our guest in a moment. Uh, Continuing on with this madness, this is about, all, all caps, prosecutorial misconduct. We catch the other side spying on my campaign, the biggest political crime and scandal in U.S. history and... Nothing happens. But despite this, I have done more than any president in history in first three and a half years. So just wow, that's the president of the United States today. And by the way, even if all of those things that he just uh, ranted, even if all of that was true, that Obama and Biden spied on him and the Mueller investigation was a big hoax, etc., It still would not have anything to do with the cases on which the Supreme Court ruled on Thursday.
2: I know. It's nothing.
1: (laughs) I mean, so in other words, uh, this was literally, literally nothing more than a tantrum. And it was
2: his greatest hits. It wasn't even relevant to what was going on today.
1: No, it was not even an actual response to what the court did today, which, by the way, works out pretty well for him overall. Though uh, adding to, uh, some injury, I guess, to insult Trump's own appointed justices, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, were part of the seven person majority in today's decisions. Wah-wah. The president was still furiously sounding off on Twitter by about noontime, after which I'll st- I stopped paying attention when he tweeted, all caps, political witch hunt. OK, so with that madness out of the way, what was this witch hunt? Republican-appointed Chief Justice John Roberts began the majority opinion in Trump v. Vance this way. 200 years ago, a great jurist of our court, Chief Justice John Marshall, established that no citizen, not even the president, is categorically above the common duty to produce evidence when called upon in a criminal proceeding. We reaffirm that principle and hold that the president is neither absolutely immune from state criminal subpoenas seeking his private papers, nor entitled to a heightened standard of need. That was Chief Justice Roberts kicking off the 7-2 to two majority opinion in Trump v. Vance. In that case, the uh, president of the United States had sued to block Manhattan District Attorney uh, Cyrus Vance, uh, his subpoena of Trump's accounting firm Mazars USA, which uh, in which they were seeking records that may support the contentions by Trump's former attorney Michael Cohen that he fa- that uh, Trump falsified loan applications and other financial documents, as Ernie Canning at Bradblog.com writes today, uh, the fact that the Supreme Court, as observed by just by Justice Brett Kavanaugh in his concurring opinion. Unanimously agreed that a president does not possess absolute immunity from a state criminal subpoena. Ernie says that is great news for those who are concerned about the threat that uh, the Trump administration poses to the survival of the rule of law. However, he adds, the court's decision to remand the case back down to the district court, where Trump may, according to the majority opinion, raise further arguments as appropriate, makes it unlikely that a New York grand jury will acquire the potentially incriminating records that might otherwise justify the issuance of a criminal indictment prior to the November 3, 2020 election. So uh, whether uh, those documents end up getting to the uh, grand jury and to the district attorney there, uh, it looks like they will, but
2: eventually
1: not before the election. When people
2: would need that information in order to make an informed decision about who to vote for for president
1: in a companion case, also uh, released today, Trump v. Mazars in which Trump sued to block several congressional committees from obtaining his taxes and other financial documents as part of uh, their uh, legislative oversight. The court vacated a district court order compelling Trump to turn over financial records to Congress, but the court in this case left open the possibility that the district court could again order the same financial records to be turned over to Congress. Uh, although, albeit after special, careful consideration of issues concerning separation of powers. In other words, the court is seems to be saying, well, uh, I think you can have those documents, but you better make really, really, really sure. So go back and talk about it again, once again delaying all of this to beyond. Uh, This year's election, uh, which so now it appears highly unlikely that these records will be forthcoming to Congress prior to the elections, as uh, Ernie Canning notes, um, though, at least some of them are most likely to come soon. As Josh Kavinsky describes at TPM in the case regarding the prosecutor's attempt to obtain Trump's financial records, Uh, In Manhattan, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote for the majority decisively rejecting arguments made by Trump that he was immune from any kind of criminal investigation. The argument, uh, uh, as uh, Roberts writes, uh, runs up against the 200 years of precedent establishing that presidents and their official communications are, in fact, subject to judicial process, according to Roberts. Nonetheless, in a separate 7 2 ruling on whether Congress may, whether Congress in this case may obtain some of those records from Trump's financial firms, uh, the uh, Supreme Court delayed enforcement of a House subpoena, which will now need to be hashed out again in that lower court, as I noted. The decision upholding the subpoena in the Vance case marks the first, at least partial victory. For those clamoring for access to Trump's tax returns, even if it won't happen right away, Trump is the first president since Richard Nixon not to release his tax documents amid well-documented allegations of unlawful inconsistencies which is otherwise known in the vernacular as fraud by the president, at least before he became president. As our friend Mark Joseph Stern writes today at Slate, the Supreme Court managed to pull off a seemingly impossible balancing act on Thursday. It denied President Donald Trump the sweeping immunity from oversight that he demanded while also shielding Trump from oversight before the November election. In Trump v. Vance, the court cleared the way for a New York grand jury to subpoena the president's tax returns eventually. In Trump v. Mazars, the court upheld Congress's authority to investigate the president but stymied, at least for now, its current efforts to do just that. With these two decisions, Mark writes, the Supreme Court and specifically Chief Justice John Roberts, Has dealt a blow to Trump's alarming view of unbridled executive power. Yet, it has also protected this particular executive from immediate scrutiny. Funny how nicely that works out for everybody, eh? <laughs> Joining us yeah, now... wow,
0: well, almost like yeah. it was a carefully brokered compromise to reach this exact result and then work backwards for the reasoning.
1: There you go. That you just heard is the voice of Mark Joseph Stern. He covers the law, the court system, the U.S. Supreme Court, election law, and much more at Slate.com. Yeah, it was kind of a dizzying mor- uh, morning out here, Mark. i got to tell you, on the West Coast, because we woke up to these headlines... Declaring a loss for the president and then a win for Donald Trump for now and then court finds middle ground. It was impossible just looking at the headlines alone to determine what actually happened on Thursday. Uh, Though I am led to wonder if Trump's tantrum tweets declaring today's ruling is not fair to this presidency. Might that actually tell us the story, or uh, if even that is it is it, is that meant to manipulate opinion to make the public believe this is worse for him than it actually is
0: uh, well i don't think Trump is really smart or clever enough to uh, strategize that extensively and tweets to frame these as a loss for him mm-hmm. uh, to turn the public against the Supreme Court. I think he just doesn 't really understand how the court gave him a gift because. As you noted, these decisions are wrapped up in a lot of language that pointedly reduces the president's immunity and executive uh, privilege from oversight and Mm -hmm. investigations, and announces or reaffirms some crucial principles, like the fact that, of course, a... States can subpoena a president's records for a grand jury proceeding and yes Congress can also subpoena the president and his Confederates and his businesses um, if it seeks to get that information to help it pass legislation but the court (laughs) said we're going to draw a line because we're not so sure that here either the new york grand jury or the house of representatives uh, checked all of the boxes we think they needed to uh, in order to get this information and so there's going to be a kind of run down the clock thing now where trump tries to keep fighting this in the lower courts at least through the november election and that means we may never actually get to see these records that the supreme court said theoretically we could have a right to see
1: uh, yeah and that's what i want to clarify. In- In both of these cases, uh, you note today at Slate that the the court sent them back down to the lower courts for review. Now, in the Vance uh, case, the district attorney's case, you argue that the move is probably just a hiccup on the way to a final order sending Trump's tax returns to the New York grand jury. But that the Mazar's case regarding the congressional subpoenas of this material, you say the court's compromise, could functionally kill the House of Representatives efforts to get its hands on Trump's financial records. Why, even if it takes longer, would that functionally uh, kill that effort?
0: So, these are two different cases that have very different questions of law, even though they both involve Trump's financial records, obviously. Mm-hmm. And Roberts seemed to view them differently. So, the the Vance case, which is about the New York grand jury subpoena for Trump's tax returns, mm-hmm. that case did not seem difficult to Roberts. Roberts basically said, yes, uh, the, the grand jury can get its hands on these tax returns so long as the president doesn't put forth any... Truly persuasive or compelling reasons why complying would interrupt his constitutional duties. So, say theoretically, uh, a grand jury subpoenaed Trump in a way that would distract him from conducting a war as commander in chief. Right, mm-hmm. that might be an exception to the rule. And so, Roberts sends the case back down and basically says, just just triple check that there is nothing else. Uh, going on here that could give Trump immunity. And, and I, I call that a hiccup because the writing is on the wall. Mm-hmm. I think the lower court's going to very quickly say, yup, these records can go to the grand jury, and that's going to be that. It could happen in a matter of weeks. With the congressional subpoenas, Robert seemed to view that as a much more difficult case, and he ended up sending the, the, the cases back down with this really complicated four-part balancing test that requires the lower courts to really carefully assess all of the different justifications that the house put forth for these subpoenas and weigh them against uh, various presidential prerogatives that process is probably going to take a while it's probably going to draw some dissent from Trump judges, and it's probably going to lead to a lot of appeals, a lot of red tape, a lot of uh, basically running down the clock. Mm. That's why I suspect these records are not going to get to Congress before the November election, I- I- if they even get there at all.
1: And, and well, if they get there uh, not before the November election and not before January when a new Congress will be seated... Does the case still stand, or does everything have to be filed all over again by the next Congress at that point?
0: I am fairly certain that they will have to start over. I am fairly certain these subpoenas are going to expire because the House is going Mm. to essentially lose the authority that it had to issue them in the first place. Um, And then, of course, if Trump loses, the House is going to lose a lot of its justification for filing them in the first place. The whole idea here um, was that the House wanted to figure out how to pass legislation that would basically prevent us from having another Trump in the future. (laughs) That would prevent us from having a president who is entangled in foreign businesses, who is corrupt, whose confederates are engaged in money laundering and Financial misconduct, and they wanted to use Trump as an example as a sitting president and also hopefully pass the, these laws before he left office. Mm-hmm. And if Trump leaves office, the, the House loses the urgency of the matter, mm. and that's where I think Roberts did give the president some wiggle room and said, look, if, if this information can be found in another way, if Congress can go a different route, if the information's not really necessary or is urgent, then that might be a different story and Congress might have to lose.
1: Yeah, uh, attorney uh, Scott Lemieux, who writes at Lawyers, Guns, and Money blog, uh, tweeted, the ruling is no president is above the law, but they postdated it to the Biden administration. (laughs) That's perfect. That's exactly Uh, right. Sounds about right, yeah. Now, Trump argued that the congressional subpoenas lacked a legitimate legislative purpose and infringe upon the separation of powers, but it seems to me, frankly, that that's none of his business, Uh, that that alone is a separation of powers issue. He doesn't get to decide what's a legitimate legislative purpose, does he? Uh, uh, Did the court buy that argument?
0: So, I'm really glad you said that. The court claimed not to buy that argument. The court said, well, you know, we think that generally Congress has the power to issue these subpoenas, that generally the courts should defer to uh, Congress's ideas about which subpoenas are necessary and related to a legitimate legislative purpose. But when we're talking about the president, (laughs) you know, there's all these other countervailing interests, Mm -hmm. and so we, the courts, actually need to carefully scrutinize the the, the legislative interest to make sure that it's legitimate, uh, and that's to respect the separation of powers between Congress and the president. Well, the court seems to forget that there's also supposed to be separation of powers between the judiciary and Congress. Mm -hmm. And these precedents that, uh, that give Congress the power to issue these subpoenas They actually emerged out of the Supreme Court's desire to keep itself out of disputes between Congress and the president to respect the separation of powers, and Roberts basically uh, just crosses through all of that reasoning from these past cases. He doesn't seem to see any separation of powers problem with the courts uh, double, triple, quadruple checking the work of Congress. His only concern is about the powers between Congress and and Mm. the president, and I think that's because he thinks the Supreme Court can do no
1: wrong uh donald trump did tweet again today he's been on this tantrum all day uh in all caps so you know he means it he said uh, this is a political witch hunt but if it is apparently it's one that his own appointees uh neil gorsuch and brett kavanaugh both appeared to have signed off on uh in these in these rulings today the president's personal attorney on the other hand jay Sekulo. Uh, of course, he's a master spinner, but he appears correct here when he tweeted, We are pleased that in the decisions to issued today, the Supreme Court has temporarily blocked Congress and New York prosecutors from obtaining the president's financial records. That's really the bottom line here for the moment, isn't it? In the uh, less than four months before he stands for reelection, that's really what they were after, at least for now?
0: Yes, although, as I said before, I think he's too optimistic about the tax returns question. And quite frankly, if I were Donald Trump, I would be more worried about that case than the congressional subpoena case, because really one mm-hmm. of the goals of the congressional subpoena case, in addition to crafting legislation, was letting the American people see their president's conflicts of interest and foreign entanglement. Uh, and, and that would certainly bear on his political future. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the Vance case, the New York subpoena case, is really about potentially prosecuting Trump for crimes after he leaves the presidency. Right. And Roberts, as I said, has all this language about how that is absolutely fine, that is a-okay, and Roberts seems to be very comfortable with that Uh, with that happening, even to this particular president. Um, And so if I were Trump, I would probably have wanted the reverse outcome Mm. to have Roberts more worried about the Vance case. And it seems the chief justice says, hey, Trump, you're on your own when you leave office, and is definitely or almost certainly going to let these tax returns make their way to the grand jury.
1: Now, there was one part of his tantrum uh, that actually seems spot on to me. And by the way, I try to ignore his tantrums, usually everything he says on Twitter. But uh, there are some, uh, t- some telling remarks here. Uh, he tweeted that the court had made a ruling that they, quote, would never have given for another president. That one uh, actually does ring true to me. Uh, w- what say you, Mark? W- would uh, Barack Obama have gotten uh, the courtesy of this sort of uh, let's slow it down decision as uh, w- we saw in both of these cases today?
0: No, I definitely don't think so. Um, I, I think under Obama, we saw at least some of the conservative justices really kind of lose their minds, uh, particularly Justice Samuel Alito and our dearly departed friend, Justice Scalia. They, they were in sort of open revolt against Obama and seemed willing to rule against him no matter what, even if their decisions would, would weaken the office of the presidency, which they generally want to strengthen. Um, and so I think if these cases had arisen under Obama, you would have had the four liberals being consistent, saying yes, the Obama administration Obama can be subpoenaed and Congress has this power and states have this power and you probably would have had at least some of the conservatives signing on to that and saying hey, whatever, whatever makes Obama sweat is good by us. So I think Trump did get some special treatment here, but then again, we've really never had a president quite as corrupt as Donald Trump, and so it's kind of hard to imagine what the analogy in the Obama administration would be. Was New York trying to subpoena Obama for wearing a tan suit or something? It's just <laughs> not clear to me how these cases could have arisen under him.
1: Well, the, uh, the uh, Trump v. Vance case here, this is the one where the Manhattan district attorney is seeking the records from Mazar's uh, that, that may back up uh, Trump's former attorney Michael Cohn's claim that Trump falsified various financial documents like loan applications, tax returns, etc. Uh, that's the one where Trump's attorneys actually argued in the appeals court, as I recall, that in fact, if Donald Trump did actually literally shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, that law enforcement officials would be barred from either investigating or even from stopping him from doing so. His lawyers actually argue that in court. Did the Supremes ultimately speak to that issue in their opinions here?
0: Uh, no, the, the opinion was not that colorful. It didn't get into all of the consequences of the president's arguments, but it didn't really need to because Roberts very curtly shut down these in, incredibly sweeping claims of executive immunity and executive privilege um, and, and rejected all of these double standards that would have elevated the president above the rule of law. Though, mm-hmm. again, as you said, the decision is sort of post-dated to the beginning of the, of the Biden administration. Right. Um, but it, The the court, I think, really, really illustrated how these arguments that Trump was making, that his Department of Justice was making, uh, they were sort of humiliatingly stupid and and were (laughs) never going to be embraced by anyone except the most far-right and hackish of Trump judges.
1: Lesson learned. Joe Biden should not shoot anyone on Fifth Avenue. He will not get away with it. Finally, Mark, uh, between this and the Mueller report's... Uh, conclusion that the Department of Justice cannot hold a president to criminal account, which I think is totally wrong, by the way. And then the, I agree. the delays that stymied subpoenas for use during Trump's impeachment late last year and early this year. And as a matter of fact, I think the Supreme Court just uh, said they would agree to take up in in the next term. Whether Congress has rights to get at the uh, background information from the uh, uh, Mueller report, a lot of good that will do next year. But at least in in regards to all of this, uh, doesn't it sort of prove that to some extent, yes, a president actually is? above the law in that it is really impossible to see accountability within one term maybe a two-term president could be held accountable but there are enough roadblocks it seems to me in the way that it is literally impossible to hold a president to account in a single term if he or she at least is brazen enough to fight every step of the way the way donald trump has
0: yes certainly. And I think back to all of the little decisions that made that reality you just described. It it wasn't just these big decisions coming down on opinion days, but every time the Supreme Court stepped in and said, oh, okay, well, we'll just keep this lower court ruling on hold until we can hear the case. You know, the court did that multiple times, including in these cases, mm-hmm. and uh, basically allowed the president to run down the clock. And I don't think it was an ideological decision for the court to do that. I don't think the justices, or at least all of the justices were thinking let's just shield trump for as long as we can but that's the nature of the judiciary it's slow moving that's why there are turtle sculptures all over the supreme court plaza (laughs) it's supposed to move slowly but that really helps a super corrupt president um and and so i do think we've seen a real problem here where the courts just have to be a little deferential to the president you know they just have to say okay well we'll decide this in due course. Mm-hmm. And the president gets so many extra months where he can just sit there and twiddle his thumbs and say, well, I'm not getting subpoenaed today. It's yeah. another good day
1: for me. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, a lot of the Republicans in the Senate used that as their excuse to vote to acquit. They said, well, we might have uh, you know done something else here, but the, they did it wrong in the House. They should have gone through the courts uh, with their subpoenas to get all of the information. Well, it's clear that had they done that, we would have never been able to have an impeachment in one single term of a president. Right. I, I mean, th- that's a, this is a very bad place for a country to be in. I think we really need to relook at how there can ever be presidential accountability, uh, given the way things are set up now. Uh, Mark Joseph Stern, does that thus conclude our uh, Supreme Court term this year? Are there any uh, other odds or uh, pieces of business or cases still to uh, come out from the court? So we're
0: done with all the 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 cases that the court has heard arguments in Mm -hmm. but you and i were just speaking a few days ago about these election law cases where Mm -hmm. the supreme court jumps in at the last minute to preserve a voter suppression law, that will continue happening. The Supreme Court is never far away, and uh, over the next couple of months before the court 's next term begins in October, we will undoubtedly get a series of emergency orders that divide the court, probably along ideological lines, many, if not most, of them, relating to voting rights. So the court 's work is never done, but we can at least breathe a sigh of relief on, on Monday mornings and not have to worry about how the court's <laughs> going to damage democracy.
1: and, today. and yet i 'll be able to find an excuse to harangue you to come on the show (laughs) at some point, maybe, uh, for the rest of the summer. We'll see. It's always a pleasure. No (laughs) harangue. Thank you. Mark Joseph Stern covers law, the courts, the U.S. Supreme Court, and much more at Slate.com. He's always a must-read when you really want to understand what the hell is actually going on. Find his work at Slate.com. Find him on the Twitters at MJS underscore DC. Thank you, Mark Joseph Stern. You may now stand down.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, I'll talk to you in October at the very latest.
1: Okay, thanks. You know, uh, the two justices here who dissented in both of these cases were Justice Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas. In both of them, warning that future presidents would suffer because of the decision (laughs) about Trump's taxes.
2: (laughs) I think that that's completely disingenuous, because I feel like pretty much we can guarantee that if it were a Democratic president coming up in the future, they would vote the opposite way,
1: Well, uh, th- no
2: matter what it was. It,
1: it sort of, you know, sounded like a threat to me when I, <laughs> when I heard that from them. And they wrote... This case is almost certain to be portrayed as a case about the current president and the current political situation, but the case has much deeper significance, according to Alito. While the decision will, of course, have a direct effect on President Trump, what the court holds today will also affect all future presidents, which is to say it will affect the presidency. And that is a matter of great and lasting importance to the nation. Which is true. Yeah. And it would. But, you know, it would be nice if there was a way to hold a president accountable for anything beyond, you know, attempting to vote him or her out of office four years later. So, yeah, the fact that this is a matter of great and lasting importance to the nation and will affect future presidencies. Good. It should. Yes. Although it should happen a lot faster. Uh, But anyway, uh, you know, I'm sure, by the way, that Republicans will also soon agree with me about that.
2: Gosh, you think?
1: Just as soon as there's a Democrat in the White House. Quick break and we're back with more corruption in the White House right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. and thanks. <laughs> dirty deeds.
2: Yep, done
1: dirty. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. dot uh, You know, as as uh, Trump was whining on uh, Twitter about his uh, totally unfair treatment by his own stolen U.S. Supreme Court today, which essentially let him completely off the hook, at least before the upcoming presidential election, when the you know public would have had a right to know about the criminal financial fraud by the sitting President of the United States, allegedly, uh, you know, uh, well, even with that, and I see why he's upset about it, because beyond the election, He's facing jail time, Well, given that decision today.
2: If all goes according to what we believe is actually in the documents, then yes.
1: On the other hand, if he can pull off another four years of the presidency, he might be able to claim immunity somehow uh, down the And run out the statute we'll of limitations yeah. clock as well. We will see. Uh, but in any event, as all of that was happening, he just got another special a favor. So while he's whining about uh, how life is so unfair to him, uh, he gets another special favor. Uh, Donald Trump was given a second 45-day extension to file his annual financial disclosure forms. A White House official said on Wednesday the additional extension was announced more than a week after an already extended deadline had came and went without any word from the White House or the Office of Government Ethics. On why that report, which is the only official document laying out the president's finances, at least that the the public is allowed to see, even right before another election, uh, no word on why it was late. Then on Wednesday, uh, after the extension and after a week had passed beyond the deadline for that extension, on Wednesday, a White House official said the president had been granted an additional 45 days but that the president intends to uh, file that uh, document as soon as possible, according to the New York Times. So what's the holdup? This is a pretty perfunctory disclosure of pretty minimal information, frankly, that he has released in previous years. Up until Wednesday, the White House had given no reason publicly for the filings delay. The ethics office has historically posted the filing the day after that it is due. Uh, Although it was originally due in May, all White House employees were granted an extension until June 29 due to the coronavirus pandemic. According to The Times, an official said uh, on Wednesday night that Trump had requested another extension due to the, quote, complicated nature of the report. Mm. And because the president had, quote, been focused on addressing the coronavirus crisis and other matters. Well, that's news right there. (laughs) Uh, He's been focused on addressing the coronavirus crisis. Really? You wouldn't notice. Uh, Maybe they mean focusing on how the hell he's going to win an election while failing to address the uh, coronavirus crisis. Maybe that's closer to what they mean. Vice President Mike Pence, who actually has been working on the coronavirus crisis, at least to some extent, As the head of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, he released a separate disclosure reporting his own finances. No problem at all.
2: So somehow Pence's staff was able to manage it. Yeah, Figures.
1: Trump has uh, thwarted repeated calls for the release of his annual tax returns which has become common practice for presidents in recent history and remains an undelivered promise from his first campaign for president in 2016. So now we're talking about his uh, is well, his financial documents, which are the sort of minimal declaration of how much money he has, where his businesses are. It's not his full tax returns. He had promised to release those as president. Of course, another lie. He hasn't. But uh, so that's what the conversation is now about since 2016, not the historic tax returns that were being sought by the New York prosecutor and, and Congress in those two Supreme Court cases on Thursday. So to that end, to these new 2016, 2017, 2018 tax returns, the New York Times, Thomas Friedman, no relation, thankfully, had an interesting idea in his column at The Times yesterday. He writes that Joe Biden should only debate Donald Trump under two conditions. Otherwise, writes Friedman, he's giving Trump unfair advantages. First, Biden should declare that he will take part in a debate only if Trump releases his tax returns for 2016 through 2018. Biden has already done so himself. They're on his website. Trump must as well. No more gifting Trump something he can attack while hiding his own questionable finances. And second, writes Friedman, Biden should insist that a real-time fact-checking team approved by both candidates be hired by the Nonpartisan Commission on Presidential Debates and that 10 minutes before the scheduled conclusion of the debate... Uh, This team report on any misleading statements, phony numbers, outright lies that either candidate has uttered. That way, no one in that massive television audience can go away easily misled. Yes, he writes, the fact that we have to make truth telling an explicit condition is an incredibly sad statement about our time. But if the past teaches us anything, Trump might very well lie and mislead for the entire debate, forcing Biden to have to spend a majority of his time correcting Trump before making his own points. I think these are both good ideas, actually, from uh, Friedman. And
2: and it's also a a very, uh, I think, telling observation that Biden would have to spend his time debunking Trump rather than advocating for democratic principles.
1: Exactly. Uh, And it's a good trick that Trump knows how to use. And, of course, he will use it. Uh, Friedman goes on, because of COVID-19, Biden has been sticking close to home, wearing a mask and social distancing. And with the coronavirus now spreading further and Biden being a responsible individual and role model, it's likely that he won't be able to engage with any large group of voters before Election Day. Therefore, the three scheduled televised debates, which will garner huge audiences, will carry more weight for him than ever. He should not go into such a high stakes moment ceding any advantages to Trump. Trump's badly trailing in the polls and he needs these debates much more than Biden does right now to win over undecided voters. So Biden needs to make Trump pay for them in the currency of transparency and fact checking universal principles that will level the playing field for him and illuminate and enrich the debates for all citizens. Of course, Trump will stomp and protest and say, no way. Friedman says, fine, let Trump cancel. Let Trump look American voters in the eye and say, there will be no debate because I should be able to continue hiding my tax returns from you all, even though I promised that I wouldn't. And even though Biden has shown you his and there will be no debate because I should be able to make any statement I want without any independent fact checking. If Trump says that, Biden can retort, well, that's not a debate, then. That's a circus. After all these issues around taxes and truth are more vital than ever for for voters uh, to make an informed choice, uh, writes Friedman, and I would add, uh, more vital than they even were yesterday when he originally wrote this column, before we learned that nobody was likely to ever get any information about Trump's finances, at least before the election, thanks to Thursday's Supreme Court decision. So, uh, you know, at the very least, those tax documents...
2: From the time that he, he was, was president. He was actually
1: president. Yes. Yeah seems like they should be released.
2: Kind of important.
1: Um, uh, Friedman notes that uh, Trump uh, never sold his Trump organization holdings or put him into a blind trust, as past presidents have done. Rather, uh, he put him into a revocable trust, revocable trust uh, with his his son, Donald Jr., uh, as the trustee. He promised during the last campaign to release his tax returns after an IRS audit. Remember that? After the audit was finished. That was also another joke. Once elected, Trump claimed that the American people were not interested in seeing his tax returns. Actually, writes Friedman, we are now more than ever, and not just because it's utterly unfair that Biden go into the debate with all of his income exposed. He and his wife, Jill, by the way, according to these returns, earned more than 15 million dollars in the two years after they left the Obama administration, largely from speaking engagements and books that it's unfair that uh, Biden has to have that information out there, but Trump does not have to do the same. Friedman writes, There must be something in those tax returns that Trump really doesn't want the American (laughs) public to see. You think? Debating Trump is unlike debating any other human being. Trump literally lies as he breathes, and because he has absolutely no shame, there are no guardrails That is why it's so important to insist that the Nonpartisan Commission on Presidential Debates hire independent fact checkers who, after the two candidates give their closing arguments, but before the debate goes off the air, would present a rundown of any statements that were false or only partly true. Only if leading uh, leading into the debate, American voters have a clear picture of Trump's tax returns alongside Biden's, and only if coming out of the debate they have a clear picture of who was telling the truth and who was not will the american people be able to make a fair judgment between the two candidates that kind of debate and only that kind of debate writes friedman would be worthy of voters consideration and biden's participation otherwise he writes joe stay in your basement
2: which he hasn't been but okay
1: So that's what Friedman's calling for. We'll see if the uh, Biden campaign picks up on that. I think they'd be wise to. Oh, yeah. Actually. I think it makes
2: a, it's a great tactical move, too, which, you know, Democrats uh, have not been great they're at tactical They're not tacti- good at tactical <laughs> moves. No. Tactical moves are strategy. That's eh, not their... You know, they're better at governing, not so great at campaigning.
1: Okay, a couple more things real quick before we get to Desi Doyen and the latest Green News report coming up with... Uh, you got any good news, by the way, for us in that Green News yes. report today? Yes. I do. Do we? All right. Cool. Uh, so uh, yesterday... Uh, uh, I, I don't know if I should call this a correction. I guess it's, we'll call it a follow-up. Uh, you remember, uh, Vice President Mike Pence yesterday indicated that the CDC would be issuing new guidance for reopening schools because Donald Trump had complained about the existing guidelines meant to keep children safe when and if schools reopen in the fall, which for many school districts would be next month. Uh, for example Florida's Republican governor Ron DeSantis has commanded that all schools be open for all children 5 days a week beginning next month even as COVID cases are blowing up with record numbers in hospitalizations every day now in the Sunshine State with more than 50 hospitals completely maxed out of ICU space as we were reported yesterday well turns out no The CDC does not actually intend to revise its guidelines after all, which is good, I guess, since the initial ones are theoretically based on science and health data as opposed to whatever Donald Trump thinks will somehow help him get reelected this November. Uh, so the uh, CDC, according to CNN, will not revise its guidelines for reopening schools, despite calls from Donald Trump and the White House to do so. That, according to agency director Dr. Robert Redfield on Thursday, Redfield is a Trump appointee instead. Additional, additional reference documents will be provided, according to Redfield. The president, against the advice of the nation's top health officials, has repeatedly called for schools to reopen, even as coronavirus surges across the country. Uh, He tweeted about uh, the current CDC guidelines that they are, quote, very tough and expensive. And in another threat he threatened uh, in the, another tweet, he threatened to cut off school funding if these if schools resisted reopening, though it is unclear what the federal government can actually do since most schools are funded by local funding, not federal funding.
2: Yeah, but the threats uh, they land anyway yeah, regardless of if he's got the power behind it.
1: Responding to a question on the president's tweet slamming the guidelines, Vice President Mike Pence told reporters that the CDC would be issuing a new set of tools next week. Uh, But Redfield uh, on Thursday claimed that the CDC would not be changing any guidelines uh, and that that added to the confusion here because there will be a new set of tools, but the existing guidelines will, will stand. So just chalk that up, add it to the non-stop never-ending chaos? Yeah.
2: Confusion? Incompetence?
1: Disaster. Keep going. We could go all day.
2: <laughs> well, it's, I do I do want to say though yeah. I am glad that at least uh, Redfield uh at the head of the CDC drew a line somewhere. So now we know where the line for now is with the CDC. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. Hey, you know.
1: Uh, Okay, one more here before we go. The uh, Trump (laughs) this. So uh, who could who could have seen this coming? The uh, health director, uh, the county health department director in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Tulsa City, uh, said that um, the uh, Tulsa that uh, Trump's rally a couple of weeks ago in, in late June has now resulted in. An explosion of coronavirus cases in Tulsa. Tulsa County reported 261 confirmed new cases on Monday. That was a one-day record high. And then uh, another 206 on Tuesday. Uh, Dr. Bruce Dart, the uh, Tulsa City County Health Department director, said in the past few days... We have seen almost 500 new cases, and we've had several large events just over two weeks ago, he said, referring to the rally and the protests against them. He said, so I guess we just need to connect the dots, saying that it was more than likely those uh, events, Trump's rally, that contributed to the spike. A reporter who attended the Trump rally is among those who have tested positive, along with six of Trump's campaign staffers and two members of the Secret Service who worked in advance of the rally. Statewide, Oklahoma health officials on Wednesday reported the state's second highest daily total of new cases since the start of the pandemic. The new cases reported by the Oklahoma State Department of Health followed a record high of 858 cases that were reported the day before on Tuesday, bringing the total number of confirmed cases in the state to almost 18,000. The actual number of infections, however, is thought to be much higher because many people have not been tested and some who get the disease don't show symptoms. So everything is going very well as usual. And if you think that's going well, just wait till we get to Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. <laughs> Coming up next right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. There is no stopping the world for Desi Doyen.
2: <laughs> Especially because we're running late.
1: For her latest green news report.
0: So, first of all, it's pumping out a tremendous amount of CO2, uh, more than, than a city produces.
2: Siberian wildfires set a new pollution record. Atlantic hurricane season breaks new records. Trump administration approves natural gas bomb trains. Plus, the
1: National Resources Defense Council said that this mandate will lead to about $8.9 million in health savings between 2020 and 2040.
2: California mandates zero emissions trucks and buses by 2045.
1: All of those mandates and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
2: I'm Desi Doyan.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You know, obviously. Mean, say the forest absorbs co2 well Mm -hmm. if you take away the forest it can't absorb co2 so this is kind of a feedback loop and releasing this carbon dioxide into the atmosphere through the burning Mm -hmm. of these trees is actually warming the planet even more cool so in the previously frozen tundra of siberia we can no longer see the forest for the co2 this is your green news report Okay, Desi Doyen, I think hurricane season started about five minutes ago. But it's already breaking records? What?
2: (laughs) Yes, it actually started on June 1st, but yes, the 2020 Atlantic hurricane season is already a history maker. Washington Post meteorologists warn it is likely to get worse. The Northwest Atlantic is abnormally warm, running about 4 to 5 degrees above average, Mm. and that heat energy formed Tropical Storm Edward, which on Sunday became the earliest fifth-named storm ever recorded. Before Edward, Tropical Storm Dolly formed in region where a june storm has never formed before this week at a station off the coast of miami florida sea surface temperatures hit an all-time high record of 92 degrees scientists link these warming oceans to man-made climate change i'm sure
1: it'll all be fine the
2: sixth named storm of 2020 by the way will be named Fay. And that's not usually seen until September, so keep oh, that in mind. I will. In Siberia, record high temperatures and drought have helped trigger intense fires for the second straight June in a row and are now setting new records for releasing carbon emissions that were also broken just last year. In one month, the Siberian fires have released as much carbon dioxide as the nation of Ireland does in a year. Wow. And a new study from Purdue University this week has found that Ice on lakes in the Arctic is melting earlier than ever before, causing an increase in methane emissions, which is a more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide on short timescales.
1: So these are all troubling, self-reinforcing feedback loops. You have uh, the, the fires are burning in the forest because it's too hot, but when they burn, they release more CO2. Which makes it even hotter.
2: Yep. This is not good. No, scientists say that these alarming changes in the Arctic are actually unfolding decades earlier than they had predicted. Get it right,
1: scientists.
2: And it's not just the north. The South Pole is also warming fast. Cool. A recent study in Nature Climate Change concludes that parts of Antarctica are warming three times faster than the rest of the planet.
1: I'm sure everything's fine.
2: And a new study of tree ring data finds that South America has now seen an unprecedented increase in severe droughts and extreme rainfall events since the 1960s, which the scientists, surprise, attribute to man-made climate change.
1: Well, you know, I've recently learned if we did if we didn't do all of these studies, we wouldn't have all of these problems
2: in politics. Remember the spate of exploding oil trains a few years ago? Oh, I do. With legal and regulatory battles hampering construction of new pipelines, the Trump administration has taken the final regulatory step to allow shipments of liquefied natural gas by rail. Previously, federal hazardous materials regulations prohibited shipments of liquefied natural gas by rail due to safety risks. It's a move opposed by environmental groups and 15 states as unsafe because of the dangers of a possible derailment, spill or explosion in residential areas that could be catastrophic. I'm
1: sure it'll all be fine.
2: But some good news. A new study finds that spreading rock dust on fields helps to remove CO2 from the atmosphere atmosphere. It actually draws it down in a process called weathering that binds CO2 from the air. The study finds that it's relatively cheap and can also boost soil health. Scientists say that transitioning away from fossil fuels is still required, but rock dust could be another tool to help us remove CO2.
1: Rock dust.
2: Yes, rock dust. And finally, here in the United States, in another first-in-the-nation move, California regulators have voted to require all trucks and vans sold in the state to be zero emissions by 2045 and getting to half of them sold in the state by 2035. That's to reduce deadly pollution at the nation's largest port in Los Angeles and to help address climate change. At least seven other states and the District of Columbia may
1: follow. Cool. Donald Trump's not going to like that at all. <laughs> nope. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And
2: I'm Desi Doyen. And this
1: has been your Green News Report. He's bounding down, up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done. We've got a long way to go. Oh, I love that song. I do,
2: too. Long way to go and a short time to get there. Yeah,
1: let's write that song right out of here, shall yep. we? My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to uh, my guest today, Mark Joseph Stern of Slate.com, for joining us at the last minute. Thank you, Mark, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com that is made uh, possible thanks to those of you who support our work helping us to stay on your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate drop me email if you like I'm bradcast at bradblog.com you'll find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the TheBradBlog we'll see you there until we see you here next time I'm Brad Friedman good buddy good luck world he's bound to die Working. Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound, to uh, watch do bandit run?